Welcome to uh, Women in Blue, the series of interviews with women working in marine robotics. Uh, this evening, we have the pleasure of welcoming with us Andrea Alfonso, and she's uh, a ROV pilot, and she's working at the task for the extension of the continental shelf. Um, Andrea is, uh, has a degree in marine sciences, and she, she specializes in physical oceanography. Um, since 2008, she works uh, at, uh, at the task group for the extension of the continental shelf, uh, where she has received extensive training in uh, as a ROV pilot and as an engineer. And she was integrated into the 6,000 meters rated ROV LUSO technical team. I don't know if that... <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> Very well said. <laughs> And she has participated over, uh, in over 21 multidisciplinary missions involving deep sea research. Her interest is in the, in the conceptualization, the development and implementation of new sea technologies and tools. Thank you very much, uh, Andrea, for accepting our invitation. Thank you very much for having me. And I hope I could uh, be... Um, and I could cope with your expectations. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you will. So looking right behind you and seeing uh, the kind of tools you're working with, I think it's going to be a really, really interesting and also hands-on uh, discussion, let's say, like this. Yeah. So if we're going to start a little bit the discussion, I wanted to, uh, to ask you what you do on a daily basis at work. What does an ROV pilot uh, do at the daily job okay so first of all um i think people when people hear when people hear about rov mostly they are connected to oil and gas industry there are not so many in the world related to science there are maybe 20 um, maybe 15 are um, work-class ROVs that goes really deep in the ocean to explore the bottom of the ocean. And they are, uh, they have been uh, uh, changed to work with science. They have been added tools, they, they, are, they have instruments, they, they have really good cameras to see what's happening and to collect samples from the bottom of the ocean. So in a daily basis, in our work, we, we do the maintenance of the ROV. As you can see behind me, this is the ROV. It begins on the yellow part. The yellow part, it's the flotation part. So it's, it's kind of a buoy. It, gives the, it compensates the weight of the ROV. The ROV weights two tons approximately. Uh, so everything below the yellow part, it's instrumentation and the electronics part. So we have in a daily basis do the maintenance of all these parts, beginning with the electronics. And the most important thing before uh, each campaign and, and after each campaign is to prepare the ROV for it, like uh, reterminating the umbilical, that's why it's an ROV. The ROV stands for remotely operated vehicle. So there is an umbilical like a mom and a baby. They are connected. <laughs> the ROV is connected to the ship by an umbilical. I don't know if you could see there are a yellow cable 
on the top. Yeah. Maybe we can give some photographs to see in a little more detail. Uh, where passes the energy and the data uh, in real time to the surface. So reterminating the umbilical, it's one of the tasks because it, in rough seas or when we dive too much, it's the most, it's the critical part that gets more uh, um, uh, sensitive after each campaign. So we have to do the maintenance of all the electronics. We have to check if everything is working all right. If we integrate a new sensor, we have to um, uh, do the electro, how do we, to integrate it in our softwares, to integrate it in, in the ROV, to see if it doesn't weigh too much, if we have to compensate in other ways. Uh, we have to check the propellers, there are four propellers horizontal, so we can move, and three vertical, so we can descend and ascend the ROV. Uh, there are, uh, I don't know if you could see, there are arms on the front. There is a big one here, and there are another one there. <laughs> there it's, the, it's like having your own arms on the bottom of the ocean. It's... Uh, it's, it's with the arms that we can manage all the tools that we have on the ROV to collect the samples. And on the, on the bottom of the ROV, we have the sampling part that we have to make sure that they are working well uh, before each campaign. Like this big black box is where we put the big uh, samples like rocks or big animals. Here, it's not very, I don't think you can see it very well too, but it's like a, a small aquariums, like five chambers where we do uh, suctions. We vacuum some sediment or small organisms from the bottom, and we can do it by rotating each chamber, and they are uh, five individual samples from each place we want to, to collect. And uh, I think the most important thing, it's even if we weren't able to collect any of, any of the samples, we have uh, cameras. Mm -hmm. And just by seeing what it's on the bottom, it would be very helpful for the scientists to do habitat mapping or just identifying new species or seeing new, new things. Because just like landing on the moon, it's like landing on the first the first time on that dive and see what's new and uh, so don't get, <laughs> I don't get too much excited. Let's back, get back to what I do on a daily basis. So after the maintenance, uh, we have to, um, to prepare the logistics. So we have to bring spare parts for the campaign because we are in the middle of the Atlantic. So it's, um, we don't have, we cannot manage to have a day off unless it's the what it's about the weather. If we have uh, a truster or something that is, is not good or we have to replace it, we have to prepare these logistics before we go to campaign. And that's one of the things I do too. And we do some tests in our, we have a, 
a test tank here in our headquarters too. And we do some tests here also before we go to the sea. And aside from the ROV, I'm also connected to an operational part of the task group that has a small rib for doing small campaigns here in the, in the river with some other equipments like a magnetometer, a side scan, doing some samples from the, the bottom of the, of the river, like uh, small dredges or water samples. And mostly that's what I do, apart from the bureaucratic that everyone does in, the, in their emails. <laughs> And, that's <laughs> and may I ask you, for example, I read when um, read, reading about your work, I also read about some specific words like, for example, launch, recovery, flying and sampling. Could yeah. you tell me what this means? Because more or less if sampling, I know more or less what it means. Yeah. What does flying mean? So flying, it's what we call when you are uh, driving the ROV in the ocean because it's it. It's like flying because you don't touch the ground. So you're just observing the bottom of the ocean and you're just observing the, the, the rocks or the sand or the organisms. And it, since you don't touch the floor and, you just, and you, you're just hanging by the umbilical, it seems like you're flying. And in this particular case, in this ROV, this umbilical, it's called a soft tether because it doesn't have um, uh, a hard part. So uh, because it's a soft tether, we called we call the free-flying ROV. So it's easier to fly. It has some constraints also, but it's easier to fly. That's how we, that's why we call it fly the ROV. Okay. Uh, and then launching, it's it's the procedure of launching the ROV in the, in the ship. So you have this gray part here. It's like uh, um, T. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the launch and recovery system. So this portic, this portic, it's like an A-frame. It goes out. Usually we are at the stern of the ship or at the side of the ship, and this A-frame goes out with the ROV. And this is the procedure of launching the ROV. This goes out, you put the ROV on the water, and then it is released from the ship, just with the umbilical. It gets a little bit far from the ship, so it gets in a safe place, and now it can start descending to where we are planning to dive. And the recovering is the opposite. So it comes to the surface, it uh, approaches the ship, and then, you rise the ROV from the surface of the of the of the ocean to the A-frame, and then you put it the A-frame on the back on the ship again. Great, taking it. Great. It's very interesting to to experience in first person and to see exactly the real machine, which is really impressive. Like to be next to yes. it. Uh, and uh, I believe that uh, your work is also connected to what you studied, physical oceanography. So I wanted to ask more about what kind of studies, what kind of research area uh, the physical oceanography really deals with. Okay, so um, what I do now 
I think what I've studied, it helped me here to understand better the sensors and what we are collecting and what kind of data can be released to the scientists. But the part of the physical, physical oceanography, um, it's more disconnected now from what I do because I think phys physical oceanography, it has um, a very high percentage of modeling and um, and and under how do I explain modeling um, doing programming programming for weather forecasts other for uh, ocean uh, forecasts and that is what mostly I've seen my colleagues from uh, from college doing and I usually say that when I was doing my degree. Uh, I didn't saw me behind a desk doing this. I also like more of an, an operational thing. We had um, we had one discipline that was about phys operational oceanography, and that's where I've seen I've seen. Oh, this is what I want to do. It is connected with instrumentation and uh, uh, a more hands-on um, job where I can put the instruments on the water, where I, 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 can, I can be a part of the acquisition. That's what, what usually I was more excited about. But of course, doing this degree helped me to understand what we do here, because it's very related to the science part. And it helps to have, uh, to have a critical view about um, the new sensors that we can install, the, the, um, the challenges that we face when we are collecting new data from the ocean. And I think it gives me a good background besides, besides just being uh, an engineer by itself. So I think I wouldn't change my, my path for, uh, for just being an engineer. <laughs> And I usually say I was on the right place at the right time because I didn't know what an ROV was. And I don't know if I'm extending too much on this answer. Mm -hmm. But when I, I, when I integrated the team, um, I, was, I finished my degree and I didn't know what an ROV was. And they said, do you want to become an ROV pilot? Do you think that would be interesting for you? And I said... Of course, going to the sea and get in touch with the with the part of uh, technology that can explore the ocean. That's what I was excited about, and not just being on my desk. That's that's one of the things I never wanted to just be that one part. So, um, and then. When, uh, when I start being part of the team, uh, I started seeing that the ROV could lead me to uh, fulfillment as, um, how do you say, uh, I could be fulfilled just by um, meeting new people, diving at new places, um, know I can change a little bit on uh, on my work 
a little bit of my ideas can be integrated in my work. I feel very connected about it. That I was. That's what I wanted to say. This is one of my next questions that I wanted to ask you. Where did you get this passion? Like you said now that it was like a sort of uh, uh, very fortunate encounter with ROV, yes. but still yes. your uh, your passion and the decision to continue on this study path, what drove you towards, uh, towards it? When did you decide and said, okay, this is what I want to do? So when I started working at the EMEPC, the task group for the extension of the continental shelf, I entered as a database advisor for the marine biodiversity. It was very different from, <laughs> from this. But then the Portuguese government bought the, the ROV. And in Portugal, there, were, there weren't people uh, qualified to be ROV pilots because it was a very uh, new industry apart besides, well, I think maybe the Americans already have ROVs maybe 10 years earlier, but in Portugal, this kind of technology, this kind of ROVs, these are called work-class ROVs because they can, beside observation of the seafloor, they can interact and they can sample from the seafloor. And there weren't ROV pilots in Portugal. So with uh, EMEPC tried to build a team, multidisciplinary team, and I wasn't one of the persons who were inviting it. I think because I was new, I didn't have a project, I, I, I didn't have a scientist career. So I think uh, I could um, give my time to learn and to dedicate my time to uh, um, be a part of this new technology and dedicate it a hundred percent to uh, in the future not giving up uh, being of an ROV pilot. So in the beginning it was an invitation. I didn't know an, what an ROV was but as soon as, as I get in touch with the ROV and the technology and what it could do, that's the point, that's the turning point where, I, where, where my brain and my heart said, yes, this is what I want to do and I'm on the right place. This, <laughs> I'm very happy that this found me. <laughs> Oh, very nice, very nicely said. And uh, is it hard to become an ROV pilot? Is it, is, does it take a lot of time? I don't know in terms of study path. I don't believe from my own knowledge, is there a career path towards becoming an ROV pilot or is it something that you learn on the field? Um, starting a little bit from, uh, from my last answer. So there wasn't ROV pilots in Portugal. So we had to build um, like a particular path. And we learned from going to fields. Yes, the first three years we went to the field with ROV pilots from, from, the company, from the company that we bought the ROV. And in those three years, we, are, we were like sponges. So we absorbed everything we could about the ROV, how we could uh, fix the problems, how we have to think, because um, when we have a problem at the sea, usually they say you have to start by the simple thing and try to fix it and just going up 
on the on the pyramid to the um, to the hard things so you you don't waste one day or two days fixing something on the ROV so you have to 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 learn your brain to to think as as an ROV pilot too so in this particular path we went to the field for 3 years we had uh, some uh, some uh, for i don't know formations that's how you say it yeah uh, about the arms uh, about the electronics um, about flying about the procedures about the security parts because there are high voltage involved here so you have to be very aware what you are what you can do and you what you cannot do um, what are the dangers and going to the sea and having a lot of people involved in the operations you have to be very aware to what's the security parts of everyone involved um, so i think it's not hard but it, it it's not finished you are in a constant learning even when i go to the sea the last campaign in november we learned some things because we were on a, on a new ship and uh, just by being in a new ship you are always learning because there is uh, coping between the ship and the rov so it's not just launching it's not it's not just recovering it's in the understanding how the ship moves uh, how the ship deals with the weather so it's a constant learning and i think i'm not finished yet but um, when uh, when we um, when we started the team we were maybe 10 people like i said multidisciplinary by geologists biologists but some of them had careers already so they weren't they didn't have time to dedicate this much because it takes time it's consuming at the beginning it's everything new uh every little detail about the schematics, the electronics, the hydraulics, the mechanics. So it has a lot of fields and a lot of discipline in just one equipment. So it's time consuming, but um, that's why some of them, they weren't, they didn't have the time to dedicate. So they gave up and now there are only five that are the nuclear team of this ROV Luzo. And I'm proud to be one of it. Wow. <laughs> um, uh, my path here started in 2008. And the first three years we were learning, just go, you are with a senior pilot and he says, so grab me a screwdriver. And you go and you grab a screwdriver, <laughs> you do all of that. But you are just trying to learn everything, every screw, uh, every board, every wire. Um, and after these three years, it was the first time that we went to the sea without any supervision. It was, it was a very good accomplishment. So you, you could see that we were, um, that everything was worth it because we were independent. We, we grew up to have this system running with these five people and we could solve the problems. And it was very, very rewarding, yes.
Congratulations. And what do you think would be like the sort of ideal degree that could prepare you best for this type of job? If if you look just for uh, education, there are some there are some courses out uh, outside Portugal. They are very directional directioned to ROV pilot, and you can have these courses, of course. But um, they are also very directioned to oil and gas because it's mostly what ROVs are used for. I think if you if you like mechanics, if you like uh, hydraulics, if you like electronics, you don't have to be an engineer. Of course, it's good if you if you like the engineering part, but you can also be a more professional or more technical part of these of these areas. If you like uh, to build things, if you like soldering things, if you um, are connected somehow with uh, with uh, hydraulics and you like um, and you have some degrees on it, I think if you if you have these areas in your background, you can go to ROV pilot. Yes. Also, I don't. I don't, from my background, I don't have this engineering. I have some highlights from my course, from electronics, and I have some from uh, uh, physical oceanography that helps me to see and evaluate the ocean in another way. Uh, but if you have the background, the science background, I would say you are very cap capable of uh, being an ROV pilot too, because you can you can always learn this, these, uh, these fields from scratch. And if you are interested in the ROV courses, give you a very good background about it. Yes, perfect. That's, good. That's very good to know. And as you were speaking a lot of, about mechanics, I was wondering yeah. <laughs> when you were little, did you like to do like um, kind of activities that were somehow connected instead, instead, for example, playing with the dolls or something like this? It, yes, <laughs> usually, uh, I don't know if this is going to sound bad, but uh, my sister usually say that I'm the man of the house. <laughs> so I think I've always had, and don't get this, don't get this uh, wrong, the wrong idea. I don't think there are, this was very connected to men, this kind of work. And it was in the beginning, there were only men. And nowadays there are jobs that only accept men. Um, but I've always liked to build things, to be challenged by the part of um, someone gives you a challenge. I want to sample this. How can we do this? How can we uh, put this on the ROV? What's, 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 um, what's the ROV uh, part that we can change, that we can collect or put this device on the seafloor? Um, and I was very drove by this. So the, the mechanical part, it captivates me. Huh. So being able to getting the end of the challenge you know, and uh, seeing the scientist's eyes and saying, oh, that's it. That's a very good idea. We do a brainstorming with everyone and that's a very good idea. And that's the part that that's really motivates me. Uh, 
And when we are at sea, that's one of the things we have to do. Not just flying, not just going to the bottom of the ocean, but we spend some time in the workshop building things, fixing things. And I like that that part also. Um, even if sometimes it's very male-connected <laughs> because uh, you don't have your nails done. <laughs> You always have your your hands a little bit dirty, <laughs> but I don't mind. I don't think you in the in the field in the ship. That's not that you are not judged by it, and that's a very good thing. Yeah, that's awesome to know. That's good to know. And uh, who kind of supported you along the path, uh, along your decisions that you took along the way? Who was next to you saying yes? do this in the beginning well my mother is a nurse my father is a, um, a professor teacher in um for for young kids in a primary school that's how you say it yeah so when i said that i want that i wanted to do my degree they didn't know really what was it So usually they say marine biology, and I say, and I usually say, no, it doesn't. Ha it has a little bit of marine biology, but it has, it has other things related to. So it's kind of the science related to the sea. That's how I was explaining my course. And then when I started going um, at the MEPC, and I said that I was invited to the ROV team. Of course, for them, it was, what is that? What's an ROV? You're going to the sea, you're going, you're going to the ship. Uh, how is that going to work for you? Uh, you're, going, you're going to be away a little bit, well, one month, two months a year? How, you, how it's going to be alive? These kind of questions that all parents do. <laughs> But uh, one of the things I can be proud is for the minute I've said that I was this is what I wanted to do and, and this kind of job found me, I think they were very supportive because even they didn't understand the detailed part of it, they see that I was very fulfilled by it. And they started to read and they've seen all the things we do and they started to read about the ocean and be conscious about the projects and... Uh, So I think I brought these a little bit to their lives too. And they have been very supportive all the way. And my sister also, very, very. Uh, and which was one of your toughest challenges that you had to face during your work and how did you overcome it? Okay. <clears throat> I think we can, in the beginning, we were in a, in a Navy ship. And I think even if we, if we try to train our mind that we are not gender biased, we are. And in the beginning, I was very, I was not afraid, but I was um, apprehensive. How would I be treated? Uh, because we were on a Navy ship, there wasn't a lot of women working there and we were civils and that was, that was a military ship. And um, in the beginning, it was hard to find my place and to know that 
even being a girl, I do not have to, to be brilliant or I do not have to stand for something. I just had to do this job. Uh, and I think what, came, what comes out is if you like the job uh, and if you do it with, with passion, people will respect you. And I think this is the most challenging thing. It was to adapt me to this, this world, to the ROV world, to being on a ship. And I think it's easier when you are in a scientific world because you have a lot of women in the scientific world. But it's, um, it's listening, people hearing you and respecting what you say because you have some expertise on the field um, and uh, gaining your space and your and uh, in, uh, in your place in in this world, I think it was most the most challenging and most personal uh, thing I have overcome. Mm -hmm. And now I feel I feel comfortable. <laughs> and how did uh, the context change? For example, as you said that. Uh, um, in marine sciences, maybe there are more women working, but in such a more technical field, there are very few women working. So yeah. did you see a shift from when you started working in this field to now in terms of the situation of women's roles in this position? Yes. <clears throat> in the beginning, I think I felt like that because I didn't saw women or girls working in technology. But could it be because I wasn't aware of it and I was more conscious on that on when you become a part of this world and you start looking for it? Um, I wasn't aware there weren't so many um, ROV pilot girls. Um, and I think there was there are shifts because I see that uh, in this Navy ship, the last campaign I did, most of... Uh, uh, more than 50% were women. So there was a shift from the beginning where I started in 2008 and in 2016, half of it was women. And um, as we grew with the ship, because they weren't, um, they weren't used to have ROVs, so we were learning to do ROV launching and recovering and dives, and they were they were learning how to have an ROV in the ship and how this cooperates on a daily basis. So as we as we grew together, I think we get uh, we had more respect from the people there too, and. Um, when I started to research more about ROVs for science, I could see that there were a lot of women in, uh, in related to ROVs. Even in this year campaign, the chief the no the chief science for the AUV for NOC, the National Oceanography Center, was a woman, and um, the chief scientist for the campaign it was a woman. So I think it has been a mind shift. To, to give uh, roles to women because um, I don't know it's, if it is because it's a more discussable team nowadays or it's 
because people understand that um, even if it's engineering science, women have a place on it and women can do just as a good job as a, as a man. So we have to do a kind of um, uh, a mind change. And I remember that I was speaking to this chief scientist and she was, she was kind of um, with tears in her eyes because there was a lot of pressure and um, some things weren't working all right and she had to deal with all this pressure. And she was saying, you know, that's, I think that's because I'm a woman. And she, and she said to me this, and I say, yes, because you, you feel ashamed that if you cry, you would feel weak. And she said, yes. Uh, but I think it's mostly in our head. If we show tears or if we show because if we are more sobervated or if we feel a little, bit, a little bit more pressure and if we show it in our minds, we are already judging what they will say about me as a woman. Uh, and I think it was a very interesting episode because she was fantastic as a team leader she was she motivates everyone it was very different from having a man because uh there was she could evolve everyone and she was she brought some emotion to it and it was a nice part everyone felt like a family so i think um being having women on teams uh how it completes both sides of of the of the brain men's are really good professional but i think we can cope with with the other parts we don't have to be afraid to show a little bit emotion because it's very good too and it's it it has bring lot of um of uh, interesting discussions aboard the ship about about that, so I think that's a very good, a very good thing to see that uh, people start to 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 do a mind shift about it, about having women on leaderships, about having women in science, about having women in technology. Yeah, yeah that's uh, very important. As and as women prove themselves, as you did, I think it becomes even stronger. I was also wondering on your team, as you said, you started off like 10 and now you're only five. What's the situation of women? How many women are you on your team? So in the ROV team, I am the only one. So I work with four men. <laughs> uh, but in the, um, in the task group, we are maybe 50%. So it's, it's equal. No... Uh, but in the ROV team, yeah, like I said, I, 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 I am the only one. Yeah. So you have to face uh, <laughs> four men <laughs> on your job. That's, uh, that's yeah. a of, uh, But I have to take the hat because it, it's really nice to, to achieve a stage of your life where you can say, I can go to see with, with this team and I don't have to mind if I am a woman and they don't have to worry if I am a woman. And that's a very good thing. So you feel like uh, it's your second family at sea. And if you are a little bit emotional, it's okay. 
you don't have to hide it. Uh, if they are, uh, if I need to discuss something because I was insecure, that's okay. So what I wanted to say is that being a part of this team now in this in this stage of my life, I can only appreciate it because they are like a second family and I feel really a part of a, of a team. I don't feel uh, nothing less because being a woman. That's very, very good to hear, very encouraging yeah. to hear. Yeah. And uh, during your studies and your study path, maybe, did you ever had these kind of ideas or doubts of, okay, if I go into this very technical field, um, maybe I could, I will encounter this kind of problems. Did you ever sort of doubt before, like uh, taking this job, uh, that maybe it's uh, it's uh, it's a very difficult kind of environment to be in, or not? No, I I had these doubts because. If you are surrounded with men, I think you you always have these doubts. You always have afraid to say something. You are always afraid that your words are not the appropriate ones, or if they judge you because you you are very picky, or because you you are very meticulous. Whatever are the the adjectives that uh, that can somehow um how do you say um i don't know the word that somehow can um uh show that you are a woman i had these doubts when i went to the bridge of the ship so the captain is is a man uh the the environment is very manly so sometimes you have you have these days when you go to bed and you think should i have should i have should i said this should i have uh said my my insecurities should i have um, uh, told what i was worried about or should i didn't or I didn't say nothing because I was afraid, because I was going to be judged. And before that, I think my, my primary uh, insecurity was, yes, I'm going to this very uh, mechanical field, very technical field. And how will, will I be able to to be like a man? Will I be able to achieve everything, to be strong as a man, to, uh, I think sometimes you think, can I think like a man? So you cannot be judged somehow. Um, but when you surround yourself with people that are also aware that, um, it's not the gender, the gender that defines the pro the professional thing that you do, and if you do it well, you can you can dissolve these doubts and you can do your path one step at a time. It wasn't easy in some times, 
but I think uh, being able to have people around me that uh, supported me besides my family, but also my team and people around me that said, no, we said this because not because you are a woman, we are arguing with you because we want to discuss ideas. So yes, say what you want, not because you are a woman, but bring your ideas to the table. Your ideas complete ours. If you are more organized, tell us to be more organized. So I think uh, the, um, the team also brings the best that I had to give. So thank you for, for all of them and for, for, for the, their support for overcoming my, my challenges along the way. Very encouraging also to hear. And uh, the fact that dialogue is very important inside yes. the team, I think that to have put the dot on the eye. <laughs> okay. So and if we had to think, for example, during uh, master studies or even PhD studies, what do you think lacks from the educational system or what could the educational system do in order to like sort of try not to dissolve these insecurities of women, but somehow uh, find a way of um, showing them that um, it, it should not be a barrier to, to their careers? I think initiatives like this are very important because um, I don't know if um, if universities are are very well prepared to deal with this with these kind of teams or discussing at classes or or to bring this kind of discussion to classes. Uh, so I think when you do these kind of initiatives and you bring to the table um, the crucial points and you can achieve people that, or young women that are indecisive about what parts they are going to study, it's, it's very um, uh, open, uh, high opening because um, they can see that there are real people doing real jobs in a real world. And uh, it's not just talking theoretically in a class. It's a very practical thing. And they are, and as I'm here, I don't speak a very perfect English. So I had to overcome my insecurity about it. <laughs> so I'm sorry for some things that didn't went well in this interview, but talking about my experience and uh, opening my heart to it, I think they would feel more connected and they would say, yes, What's, what's, what can be the problem or um, why not go for it? Uh, and I think these kind of initiatives apart from technology, uh, the sea, the, the blue economy or women in leaderships, it, um, doing interviews and bringing to the table people from different uh, worlds, I think that would be very wide opening for the new generations. Going back a little bit to your education, I was wondering which were, were your uh, favorite informal kind of activities during your studies or maybe even earlier. And do you think they somehow helped you or guided you towards your new, uh, your new job or? 
Yeah, I think it's very cliche to say that I, I love to be on the beach <laughs> observing the rocks and uh, uh, I, would not, I, I didn't like to just be sitting on my towel because probably it was boring. Well, if I had nothing to do, so I would be on the rocks observing the little organisms and I think sometimes I look back and I say, ah, I was a little bit weird, but that's okay. <laughs> Um, just observing the, the, the small creatures or um, another cliche, cliche thing. It's about the first time I saw an ROV, it was seeing the, the Titanic with James Cameron. So seeing the ROV going inside the Titanic, uh, being interested in um, things related to the ocean and their exploration, um, doing long walks, around the sea, uh, being worried about the more conservation parts. Uh, I've always been very um, interested in reading about it because I, I think if you don't look for it, it, it won't appear in front of you. There are now more because there, that's been a very crucial subject nowadays, but in my generation, the, the conservation or seeing the documentaries or uh, be interested in the, um, uh, the exploration and uh, what do we do to, um, to conserve the ocean, um, it wasn't very common. So I was, my, I was um, very, I was always very interested in reading things about the ocean. That's one of the things. And my, I think my, my mother and my father knew about it because they always, they offered me books about it from the, the more pictured ones for the, or the more detailed ones. But um, I think from the simple thing of uh, could be, uh, of being able to go to the beach and see the ocean and feel connected to it, from uh, a more um, technical part where I go and see uh, and see the ROV in action, or I or I do workshops for uh, kids where I explain the ROV. Uh, that's I think all of these bring brought together uh, have um, have done a little bit of my path and what and where I arrived today, yes. Apart from that, I like yoga. <laughs> I like dogs. <laughs> um, I like doing long walks. I like nature. And I think that's a little bit defining, yes, because I love nature, yes. And I was, and I always, my, my friends call me the Greenpeace. Because, I don't know if that's bad or good. No, because when, when some of them smoke and I was the... And I was really angry when they throw the butt, the cigarette butt on the floor. Come on, there is a litter there. So I was always very conscious about it. And I am the Greenpeace among them. <laughs> about that. Now that you mentioned about children and the fact that you explained to children are obese, I got very, very curious about what children's reaction is about ROVs. How how did you experience this uh, side of your work? Uh, in the beginning, I was not very comfortable because I don't like speaking in public, I think, like everyone. <laughs> but um, 
when you speak about your job and if you like it, it comes naturally. And for children, you don't have to be, you don't are so afraid to be judged, I think. So in the beginning, it was very interesting because when you start with, with small, maybe around five, they are really curious and they make and they make the most weird questions like, can you caught uh, sharks with the ROV? What do you see on the sea? So they are, they don't have a filter. And that's very nice because you see their enthusiasm, their enthusiasm and the, they are, and sometimes they are not hearing what you said. They are just worried about the question they are going to do about this or uh, the, how, how, how how long do you how do you sleep in the ship? Uh, things like uh, your daily daily to day basis or your daily life in a ship. What do you eat? And things that doesn't have nothing to do with the ROV. But that's a very funny part and interesting because their minds don't have a filter, so they, they just ask you what they wanted to know. They are very curious. And then when you start um, going up. On the, on, the, on the ages, you see that adolescents, they have uh, more afraid to ask, they are more afraid to, to be, uh, to have the wrong question or a stupid question. So, uh, and sometimes I think they are, one or two are really interested, but the rest not so much and they lose interests rapidly. What are you doing? Why do we have to do this? And sometimes you have to cut their attention. So what do you think we, we need to, to go to 6,000 meters? And you just have to, to bring them to, to the discussion again and, and they can feel that they are a part of the presentation. So not just uh, do a theoretical presentation. Even if, when we do it in here, that is very real. They are in front of the ROV. They don't have so many opportunities to see an ROV in real life. And I usually say, did you imagine that it was, it was this big, like a smart car? Usually they say, no, it's really, really big. And they are very impacted by the, the size of the ROV. And you, when you have um, people from university, students from university, it's a little bit different because I think they are more in a stage of their lives where they choose what they want. So uh, they are interested. They, they have specific questions. They are interested in a certain part. How you do the navigation? What do you have? Why do you have to look for these? Why do you have these instruments? What? Um, how do you fix this? Or uh, they they don't have um, they don't have these they don't have so many questions, but I, they have specific questions. So it's 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 really nice to have this con this uh, contrast between between ages but it's but it's nice to see that there are more and more uh, students interesting in learning about ROVs because I think it's now it's more a reality or um, it's more in their textbooks about technologies ways to explore the ocean so they want to see it they want to learn it uh, and it's because we are in a more technological um, generation where you uh, have um, 
all these games and you control it by uh, consoles and everything, this reminds them that it's a little bit more like a game and they are compelled to go to the um, to the control room and see the chair and wow do you pilot from here and i think they feel more connected yes and i wanted to close maybe the interview asking you if you had maybe a sort of advice for women or who uh, feel drawn towards a more technical degree, but they're not pretty sure if they should approach it, if it's too hard or not? Um, I don't know if I'm the right person to give, <laughs> to give advices, but for my personal experience, uh, if you feel like you are a little bit different because you are a little, because you, you are more drawn to a technical field or because you like things that are different from what the, the, the social um, hierarchy tells you that you should like, uh, don't feel that you are different. I think you should feel that you are uh, just uh, a piece of the puzzle that is um, just as important as another girl that likes fashion or and I don't, I don't want to minimize who likes fashion, but it's more well accepted, I think. Um, so don't feel different. I know it's hard, and it's very, it's very easy for me to say it because I'm a grown up, and I've been, and I've passed my adolescence, and it's not an easy, it's not an easy stage of life because everything it's very overwhelming. Uh, but uh, do not give up. Try to, to learn, try to go after these, um, uh, these kind of initiatives, try to, to see uh, uh, series, uh, films, movies that, uh, that could teach you a little bit more about what you are interested and uh, try to see testimonies of people or real people that are in the world and, they, and listen that uh, what they tell you is real that try your, your, your luck and do not give up even if people around you are telling you, uh, this is not the right field. What are you gonna do? What kind of career are you going to choose? What kind of life are you going to have? You will figure that out. It's easy. After you, you choose, you will adjust your life. It's like having children. You don't plan it uh, before. It's only when you have it on your arms, you have to adjust your life. So go for it. Don't don't be afraid. It's challenging, but it's you have lots of nice stories to tell to your friends. Also, <laughs> that's a, that's a lovely message for uh, from your side. Thank you very much once again Thank for you so much, Rushandra. It was so nice here. talking to you. It was very nice talking to you too, and uh, uh, wish you all the best for the future projects and all the rest of your career and also your private life. Thank you very Thank much. You so much. Thank you so much for being so kind to me and for giving me this opportunity.